I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. Afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how this is going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave up to you. These are the words of Neo, the one, the savior of the Matrix, spoken at the end of the first movie of the same name. For those of you either that were living under a rock or just unfamiliar with this early 2000s sci-fi franchise, here's a quick summary. Thomas Anderson, a.k.a. Neo, is a socially awkward programmer by day, shut-in hacker by night that spends all his free time tracking the exploits of a nefarious cyber-terrorist known as Morpheus. Unbeknownst to him, however, Morpheus has actually been searching for Neo, and upon the meeting, he reveals that Neo's entire life has actually taken place inside a massive computer simulation known as The Matrix. It turns out, for decades, the entire human race has been imprisoned inside of this computer network, so our body heat and bioelectric energy can be harvested by sentient, artificially intelligent machines in order for them to power themselves. Over the course of three movies, a series of anime shorts, and multiple video games, we learn about how Neo was prophesied to be the savior of humanity, the one who can free the imprisoned mind of those trapped in the Matrix, thus saving them from the machines. However, the twist we come to discover is that Neo himself was a part of the Matrix system of control and was an unwitting pawn in a game of chess between the architect of the Matrix and the oracle that prophesied that Neo would overthrow the machines and end the war. It turns out that both are AI programs overseeing the operation of the Matrix, but with different views on humanity's part in it. In the end, the day is saved, Zion, the last free human city, is spared from extermination, and a truce between the machines and humans is forged. Why am I talking about all this? Well, at the end of the last movie, there is a rather curious exchange between the Oracle and the Architect. The Oracle, who looks and sounds like an elderly woman with a purse full of candy, is calmly sitting on a park bench watching the sunrise within the freshly rebooted Matrix, when the architect walks up to her with a rather annoyed look on his face. Well now, ain't this a surprise? You played a very dangerous game. Change always is. Just how long do you think this peace is going to last? As long as it can. What about the others? What others? The ones that want out. Obviously, they will be freed. I have your word. What do you think I am? Human? For most people, that was the end of the story, but really, it was so much more. And no, I'm not talking about the recently announced Matrix 4, although I am super stoked for that. No, no, I, I mean the moment that they restarted the Matrix was the start of the Matrix Online, or MXO for short. MXO was a massively multiplayer online role-playing game first developed by Monolith Productions and Atari and later taken over by Sony Online Entertainment. It was a continuation of the storyline of the Matrix films and, as the Wachowskis, the franchise's creators, said, they wanted gamers to inherit the storyline. 
While gameplay mechanics were esoteric at best and downright bad at worst, MXO's reason for surviving wasn't the gameplay. It survived for over four years because of the content. And boy, was their content. Everything was in character, as MXL was fueled by role-playing. Even character creation was a story-deep affair, as each step shows a team of Zion Freedom Fighters tracking your character through the Matrix, eventually offering you to take the red or the blue pill. Taking the blue pill abruptly quits the game, but taking the red pill frees your mind and dumps you into the real world. The game was smart in that you never actually play the game outside of the Matrix, making the dystopian real world nothing more than a series of menus. Here, you alter your loadout and communicate with your allies as you prepare to jack into a fully realized version of the Matrix. Almost every location from the movies were represented, and they made the ultimate backdrop for tons of personal adventures. Something unique to MXO was the addition of the Live Events Special Interest Group, a group of people that were beyond moderators but rather puppeteers for the major characters of Matrix lore. Talking to Morpheus was an amazing experience because he was not an NPC, but rather someone that could uniquely respond back and really make you feel like the hero of your own personal journey. Seeing as there were three factions that you aligned yourself with using a reputation system, each chapter of MXO's story felt alive and like you directly had a hand in shaping it. To better understand all this, on the line I've got one of the best authorities on the behind-the-scenes day-to-day operations of The Matrix Online. Go ahead, introduce yourself. Yeah, um, so I'm Troy Ether Hewitt. Um, I worked at Monolith during the uh, MXO days. Um, I was the live events coordinator, director. I can't even remember what my title was. Um, but uh, yeah, and I wrote uh, along with Paul Chadwick and some other folks um, and a team of imps, uh, also known as implementers or event implementers. Uh, we wrote storylines um, utilizing the characters and canon of uh, the Matrix storyline. All right. Well, why did uh, MXO need a live events team? You know, um, that's an interesting question because I, my first answer is I think all games need uh, persistent world MMOs. I think that they all need that kind of magic. Um, that's just sort of my philosophical, I, I was, you know, I, I learned that by, uh, in my time playing MXO, or not MXO, sorry, in my time playing Ultima Online, UO. And um, I, I, we were so into those storylines and so into our role play characters. And we still, you know, uh, there was, our best friends were our enemies. And so it made the role play just even more fun. We had hundreds of people engaged and involved and we just kind of took over the whole game and had bits you know, like our own governmental sort of situation. It got really pretty intense. Um, and it was really uh, a lot of fun. And that just sort of gave me the, the, uh, the sense that that kind of magic, you know, their, their interest program for Ultima Online was very, very well run um, for an organization that was largely run by volunteers. Uh, they were very, they were sticklers for the rules, which I think is important. Um, they, one, they were sure to make any of the events that they ran truly enjoyable for the players. And that meant making sure that players were the stars. And, um, but the thing about it is being able to walk through a world and then suddenly something happens and you're like, wait a minute, that's not the way this is supposed to be. And, um, and that just, that sense of surprise, that sense of awe and, uh, and that you're in a magical place where really anything can happen, um, I think differentiates those experiences from just sort of the standard issue going in, grinding your, 
your missions and collecting your XP or hoovering up all of the quests and moving on. Um, and so that's fundamentally why I think uh, MXO needed this live events team. Um, the other reason is gameplay was pretty rough. It was, uh, it was very challenging. Um, yeah. it, it lacked some of the joy and some of the sense-making. It just, um, it was a lot of uh, ideas that didn't quite get percolated or, or sort of uh, not percolated, but uh, they just didn't get done. Um, right. And, uh, yeah. but, uh, but live events helped keep people engaged and interested and excited. Now, live events at scale, and what I mean by that is doing live events, um, it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of time. Um, it takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of very intricate scheduling because people get upset if they miss a thing. And so when you're running um, a game that depends on, or that has a global audience, right? you've got to really coordinate it so that everybody gets a taste. Everybody gets like, you've got to run things, um, you know, in, uh, first of all, for North America, you've got time zones. You've got to worry about what's going on in Europe. You've got to worry about what's going on in all the various um, right. places and um, and so there there are challenges there, but at the end of the day, I think the live events were the thing that really made what had been created a little more palatable. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you wish you had known when you started out? Um, I so uh, I had started. Uh, I'll say towards the end. Um, of the project, we were, um, we kind of knew that things weren't going really well with the title. Um, and there was, I want to say some push and some pull in a negative way. Um, we were kind of chasing after uh, kind of odd additions to the game that required some dev time. Like for instance, uh, as my, and I loved all of the radio stations and all of those folks um, that were supportive of live events. Um, uh, but the dev team like created an in-game radio. <laughs> and right. uh, I'm not sure if you remember that, but, um, and it was great. And I think it was excellent for the fans, but um, there was some of that, that I think some of that energy that could have focused on some of the more fundamental um broken things. Some of the combat yeah. uh, was a real, you know, when I think about all the different ways we had to hack our, you know, live event stuff. Um, the team was incredibly resourceful. Um, the imps were, we all kind of sat down and we would really look at a particular um, storyline and think about what are the tools that we have or what are the things that we can do to sort of plus them and kind of make them um, stand out and interesting. Uh, and at first we didn't get a lot of dev support. It was sort of us just kind of running around. We couldn't even step into the guise of, of any of the um, main characters. And, uh, and then when the team finally, the dev team uh, finally kind of when it clicked, what it was that we were trying to accomplish, we, it would just, it was fast forward through a lot of red tape to just get us the, the things that we needed to, you know, for instance, uh, we would be able to, uh, a lot of the problems that we had were we'd be, you know, you'd be in as uh, uh, Niobe and you're having a conversation and you're trying to share stuff. Um, and we had, you know, various um, uh, kind of template events that weren't so much sort of a rote template, do it this way, but it was make sure that people hear this line. You know, I could see how absolutely like enthralling that whole experience is. And yeah. to the same respect, it's really surprising that I haven't seen any other MMO try to do anything similar to what was accomplished in MXO. 
Some people try, um, you know, I'll, I'll say that I, um, well, I, I'm very proud of what we did on MXO, the stuff that we did on uh, Ultima Online. Uh, you know, there was a lot of very clear planning and, and uh, sourcing of kind of what it was that we wanted to accomplish. Uh, MXO was the exact opposite, but different and, and better in some ways. Uh, where we're, like I said, we're just kind of freewheeling, trying to get this done. We were very, very good at structure because we had to be um, to kind of support a global uh, community. And boy, if we didn't, if we didn't, if we missed a community, it was bedlam. I mean, people were very, very passionate. And, uh, you know, we always tried to pick someone out. Uh, but we would we we were in all the places. Um, we would listen to players as they were playing. Uh, we would um, go to their community um, forums and things back when that was what they did. And right. we would, uh, you know, fan sites are not quite uh, the thing that they used to be. Um, and uh, but we would see what they would think, and then we'd see their ideas. And if a, the players had better ideas, we'd go with that. Yeah. Which our plan to meet their expectations. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it, it was, it's just one of those, those situations where, um, you know, there was a lot of ad lib, a lot of sort of extemporaneous, um, uh, you know, looking at what we had and utilizing it in weird ways. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it really, uh, it just kind of shows you it's about a team of people who are creative and we were so, so excited about doing it. I mean, it was, it goes down as one of my most fond uh, memories, but it definitely came with a bunch of, uh, of real challenges. Yeah. Uh, we pushed the technology that, that we had at the time so far that that too, I think, contributed to some of the dissatisfaction. Um, yeah. Some, you know, people would get real super excited about going to an event and then they find that uh, they couldn't, you know, and also the machine, like our, back then, um, and it seems like I'm talking about the dark ages, in retrospect, it kind of was, but yeah. uh, computers had a really hard time running MXO. It was very intensive. I, I remember, like, because uh, because I, I thought that it was a very, very smart and neat trick how you do, um, you know, when you load into a zone, how um, while, you know, all the textures were most likely, I, I, I assume, um, granted, I don't know exactly if that's how this actually was working, but I was assuming um, when everything was matrix code, while it looked really cool, it actually was mainly there so that all the textures could load in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then PCs and everything would kind of load after that. And yeah, no, it was it was definitely um, uh, a tactic or a, or a a sort of to save on load time for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you've mentioned a couple different things and saying how this was like a you know, a, a, you know, one of your favorite memories of you working in industry. Um, do you have a favorite memory of being on the live events team? Yeah, I do. I have a few, but, um, but I think I know what you're after. <laughs> there was, you know, when um, we were, I think we were, I wish I could remember the exact date. I know that it was summer because the studio was just insufferably hot. And the team, I, I was in an office with um, Walrus, Dan Myers, right. and, um, and then an artist by the name of Shane. And we were, the three of us kind of worked really closely together. And the imps were in the grotto, we called it. Uh, I don't know why we called it the grotto. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I got a call um, from Jace Hall. Um, Jace was uh, was the head of um, one of the heads of Monolith, and then he uh, then when Warner Brothers uh, bought Monolith, uh, he moved to Burbank and kind of right. kind of became uh, Mr. Hollywood. Uh, yeah, and we know. Yeah, he's he's got his podcast, and you know he's yeah. got 
all these big Hollywood um, production credits now and everything. He does, yeah, yeah. And he's he's just uh, he's just one of those people, you know. I mean, he's a handsome dude, and he's just um, super smart. He's got that nerd cred. He's all about uh, video games, um, and uh, and he was very very engaged in. Um, the Matrix, um, right. the, the Matrix Online. Uh, so he had called and said, "Hey, could you get Morpheus in game? Um, I want to show him to somebody." Now we had been doing this a lot, so anytime that press would come through, we would go and we would do, um, you know, uh, fights. We would do, um, you know, it would be Morpheus would say some stuff. Um, you know, we would have, uh, we would let press know when they could kind of come and log in game and sort of see an event uh, as it was unfolding, or we'd do something special. And so this wasn't unusual. Um, but uh, he had said, yeah, Larry, Larry's going to be watching. And I, I didn't, I don't know who Larry is. I mean, you know, and, and Warner Brothers is huge monolith like itself like there were a lot of people working on fear and a lot of people working on other titles and uh so i don't know larry could have been in the other room for all i know uh, and given the way that we ran things oftentimes i would work with my team more with in the game than i would in person just because we always had to be sitting at our uh at our uh, computers kind of checking things as, as uh events unfolded right and so i said okay as i went to the walk down the hall to the grotto i get there and uh, Josh is his name. Um, I talked to Josh and I said, hey, Josh, we need to get Morpheus in game. Um, go to this particular place on this particular server. And I'm talking to, uh, to Jason, letting him know, coordinating all the stuff. And this was the logistics of all of these events really took a lot of time. And so you really had to get ready almost certainly 30 minutes in advance, but it would be great if it were like more like an hour or two even, or even a day uh, to get things up and running. But, you know, we, at this point we had really mastered all of the uh, ins and outs of the tricks and things. And so Josh logs in as Morpheus and he is, I'm trying to remember exactly where he was, but uh, immaterial really. So he's, he's uh, interacting, he's talking, he's sort of soliloquizing to the, uh, to the assembled masses. Um, and, you know, as we talked about, you know, players, players left to boredom or players who are, you know, just sort of trolls and troublemakers. Uh, yeah. They would, uh, you know, they'd say stuff that was rude and this, um, and I'm on the phone with Jace Hall, phone to my ear. I'm looking at, at Josh as he's playing. Um, and it's then that I can hear through the phone that, Larry is Lawrence Fishburne and, and Lawrence Fishburne is watching with, he's sitting there with Jace Hall in his office and he is seeing Morpheus do his thing. And Josh did a phenomenal job. All the imps were just, they were fantastic writers. They were excellent at, uh, uh, they understood sort of the mechanics of playing um, and we're really good at typing up the things that need to be typed up and not worrying about like typos and that kind of stuff. So it was just a beautiful, um, uh, exquisite kind of, uh, uh, interaction that Josh was running with Morpheus and, um, and as per usual, the crowd kind of came and like I said, there's some troublemakers and one of the players, um, as I realize who, who's on the line, uh, already stressed out because you know Jason Hall's the big boss. Uh, now he's hanging out with Lawrence Fishburne, and you know we are performing for him in game as him. We better yeah. not screw up. Um, and one of the players drops the N word, and it was it was like and the world stopped. It was like imagine like bullet time, but it's more like shame time or like you know <laughs> anxiety time it was so awful and i hear on the phone a lot of swearing <laughs> a lot of like, and um 
And Jace Hall says, kill him. And I said, okay. And I just leaned forward and I said to Josh, kill, kill that person. And the thing that's funny about this is that it was a really important part of my approach to all of this and it's stuff that I learned just in, in the work that I did as, a, as an ancient seer um, uh, for Ultima Online is when you're looking to make the players feel strong and, and like they're the star, you start by not killing them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You don't like, you know, it's sort of like, what a fun event, you're dead, you know, failure. And, uh, um, and it was a cardinal rule. Um, you know, you want to fight just good enough that it's a challenge. Um, and, you know, we were, we could be very, we could be 100% invincible. Um, so Josh was like, oh, no, I can't. I was just like, I, had my, I, can, I remember this moment crystal clear put my hand over my phone, leaned forward and said, kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and Josh was like, okay. And he got, and he killed him. And then I hear Jace Hall and Lawrence Fishburne just laughing and like, I, you know, they're just super celebratory. And, um, and then I, and I'm just, like I hear ringing in my ears, like I'm going through, like this is an emotional roller coaster. And I don't, I, the entire time when I realized who I was talking to, I didn't want to let Josh know because there's nothing worse than like, you're trying to do a thing and already, you know, that this is press or whatever. And that kind of became sort of, uh, a, we were used to that. Uh, but to say that you are playing the person the, the person you are playing is watching you play him. I mean, that is just a little meta. Like I just said, it was really uh, a bit much. And so I didn't want to stress him out. And then they were like, Hey, thanks a lot. You know, and uh, I hung up with them. And then I leaned forward and said, Josh, you did a really good job. I just want to let you know that was uh, Lawrence Fishburne. And, <laughs> and he looks at me and he is, his eyes start to water and I don't think he was, I don't think it was like he was going to cry, but it's that, that moment of, you could just see the realization as it washed over him and <laughs> you know, that what had just happened. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's stuff like that, that really made the whole experience just wild. Um, being, you know, I, I remember being interviewed by, uh, like the Boston Globe um, and and other newspapers, um, newspapers, by the way, you know, uh, and uh, it was, you know, also working with Paul Chadwick and, you know, there are all these moments where I'm um, really glad to have had them, but they only could have happened with the matrix uh storyline they only could have happened like you know and we were really in a space where you think about um you know the uh animatrix and all of the um uh lore and stuff that kind of peeled back some of like what it meant to live and be uh both red pill and not uh right. matrix and um and it really the storyline, the 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 mythos, I think we can say, um, really hooked people. Um, and we were looking at the plans we've started talking about um, because of the nature we, of of the you know being in the matrix. We could do anything, yeah. western, western sci-fi, you know, all of this stuff. And we just really started to talk a lot about it. What's interesting too is that we actually even talked about this reminded us a little bit of a really old movie um, called Westworld, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and later on you, you know, see that, you know, they, they've got the, the I think it's Showtime uh, or in uh, HBO. HBO, they have the series. Um, and, uh, but that was really kind of where we were at just looking at all of the crazy, fun, interesting things um, that we could do and the really passionate, sometimes overly passionate community people, um, the players, and, um, and then so many just odd, fun. Um, I think my second most favorite uh, moment uh, was when, shoot, someone, I, someone reminded me of his name and I've forgotten it again. Um, 
but uh, there was a, a, a player that was just a really, a really good sport, really passionate about finding us, but never, uh, never stockery, but just really smart. And we set him up um, to kiss Persephone and we took a screenshot of it and then blackmailed him. In... Um, that was, that was, um, oh, 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 I cannot remember because he was with, oh, he was, he was on RFZ. He was, I, I yes. know exactly who you're talking about. I wish I could talk to that guy. I mean, we had so much fun with it and he was such a good sport. Like, I, I believe, didn't we put him on the cover of one of the comic books? I think so. I think it so. It was just so, him in blacked out. Like it was sort of his body, you know, yeah. kind of blacked out. But he, we basically were like, we totally set him up. He kissed Persephone, and then, and then someone like we, you and know, the flood was, was, and then flood was um, uh, blackmailing him. That's so, right. So, so here's here's the other half of that because I know that you didn't get this, but I did. <laughs> so it's just like. Oh my god! Oh my god! Guys, guys, guys! Everybody get an event! Everybody get an event! Everybody get an event! <laughs> and 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 so, oh god! Why can I not remember his name? Oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to remember. Um, someone had I was talking to um, uh, someone about this, and uh, and he and they mentioned his name. Um, everybody, like not everybody, but the hardcore. MXO folks, they're still at it. Like, yes. They're still hanging out. They're still all, you know, engaged. And and I realized here, how many years ago was this? God, so so it it's been it it's been shit. It's been like uh it's almost been a decade since yeah, the shutdown. Right. It's a decade this right. year. It's a decade this year since the shutdown. That's crazy. And it's still going strong. What faction did you see yourself personally with? What uh, and and why was that? Merovingian. Uh, Merovingian was, uh, you know, all of the. I don't know. There's just something really cool about the clubs and the, you know, kind of partying and and sort of, uh, you know, sort of this. I don't know. I just really dug it. Like some of the cooler moments of what people looked like or the clothing that they wore, you, they were showing off at a club, you know, that the marriage was holding court at and all of the kind of odd characters that were around. Um, uh, yeah. So he definitely, definitely the Merovingian also um, he, he, the, that story of these sort of disconnected, programs longing for meaning and and trying through through all this sort of hedonistic stuff just to feel something um it was very it was all at once sort of like oh yeah party fun but really it was also very uh sad and sort of it had some depth to it that really um you know that resonated as far as my you know personal stuff like i I really uh, being a hero is great and i love it um i think that everybody should have moments in their life where they are the hero and hopefully it happens frequently um but the the merovingian and the questions that that whole sort of um action brought up it was very oh he was also just all of the you know all of the the characters that we surrounded the Merovingian with they were so fun to write absolutely so much depth and so much you know uh yeah that just a just a lot of a lot of fond uh, memories writing up uh you just sort of can get into the mind and i almost can hear the Merovingian speaking or persephone or flood or like they're just uh, all of the that cast of characters um and you know to be able to really play them to the next level and you've got to kind of be a little theatrical when you're you know it's it's text and yeah. uh and so you gotta you gotta kind of amp it up a bit but um but no i, I really enjoyed that whole the storylines that could occur and the things that we could do um all of the factions really offered a, a really 
phenomenal kind of texture uh, yeah. to kind of play off of each of the groups and that we were, we were those groups. We would really go out of our way to make sure that the players were sort of the emissaries of messages and, and bringing information back and forth. And, you know, there's so many players that were like, uh, you know, we knew that they were, they were uh, uh, double agents, you know, um, but we let them do that because that's fun. Like it's just, it's, yeah. uh, and the Merovingian, you know, uh, faction really, it, it afforded us that kind of yeah. tricksy stuff. Uh, looking back on moments within the game um, that were really impactful for people uh, on our side, we had so many, we were working on so many things that, you know, we were, we're managing a schedule. We're dealing with uh, disciplining players on the fly. Um, we're hollering back and forth to each other. And, um, and so we often would miss sort of the more poignant moments or moments that really resonated with players. We just didn't have the bandwidth to remember them. So to hear the flip side of that from people who experience them, uh, it's, a, it's a good way to remember that. <laughs> you, know, the, the, you know, the more arduous aspects of, of creating these storylines and delivering them um, kind of melt away a bit when you look back and see the impact that it's had. So it's, uh, it's, so it's phenomenal to remember this stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really, really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, too. I really I, I appreciate walking down memory lane. I'm, I'm uh, always excited to sort of share and talk with you anyway. You've been uh, a constant. You're one of those folks that connected, you know, as a part of what we did uh, at Monolith. And you and I have continued to keep in touch uh, over these many years. And um, and I appreciate you just even, you know, uh, being curious about what was going on. And, and uh, so thank you. But the people running the game were not the only ones that made the game worthwhile. There were a large number of community volunteers that, for nothing more than the love of the game, spent hours running player events. I personally had the pleasure of being a part of Radio Free Zion, one of those groups. Called RFZ for short, Radio Free Zion was a player-run 24-7 web radio station that served as an unofficial soundtrack for the game, even inspiring the developers, just like Troy said, to add that slash radio command so you didn't even need to install a separate media player to tune in. Also, the guy he was talking about, his name was Flatline. I remember you. RFZ influenced the game in a lot of different ways. But, at one point, it did cost the developers some money. After the break, we talk with Genji, one of my RFZ cohorts who had a front row seat to one of the craziest behind the scenes events of the game. Stick with us. Virtualog is brought to you by, well, you. Sponsors like you help me explore these virtual worlds and prove that documenting digital history and performing online archaeology is a worthwhile endeavor. If you can, please take a moment to stop by virtualog.sign.com and click on the Sponsor This Podcast button. Your continued contributions and support make this happen, and I appreciate it. While you're at it, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review because the algorithm is a soulless black box that controls all our fates. And Netflix recommendations. But seriously, I love you all. All right, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back. I'm here with a good friend of mine that had a major impact on the game. Although, even if he played at the time, you might not have known it. Go ahead, introduce yourself. Yeah, so I, at the time, went by uh, DJ Gingivitis, which is a long and sordid story for that username, but the uh, worked for RFZ and Awakened Radio and uh, uh, our pirate radio station for a while, and I did some MMO work. I was all over the radio stations for a while. I have a lot of stories from, from, from MXO. I adored MXO, but... I think that was one of the more impactful ones to me personally, because, you know, I, I didn't wake up that morning and go, I want to do a lot of critical damage to a company who is extremely important to me formatively. We were just, uh, we were hosting a morning show. We did like a, 
me and a handful of people. Uh, Zestio was on it regularly. Uh, Axnalaus, uh, Diax, uh, oh, DeGrifter was on there almost every morning, and we and we would bring in various DJs who just wanted to come in and hang out. Uh, but we were we were trying our best to have a stereotypical, you know, wacky morning show. And um, one morning we were we were logged into the game while we were broadcasting, as we typically did. We would we run around and try to make up some ludicrous in-game event. You know, everybody take off all your clothes and jump off the skyscraper. Whoever survives jumps up and does it again until we have one person left and we deem the strongest. <laughs> uh, things, things like that uh, but for whatever reason we got into a, a, a mood and the, a lot of us were just role playing we were just making up like a fake War of the World style morning broadcast and nothing that we could think would possibly get anyone in trouble because it was so far detached from serious fiction writing I think at one point we were broadcasting that the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man had appeared in you know downtown <laughs> and just just ludicrous nonsense like just completely you know we're just goofing off because that was what we were you know that was our job at the time was just to go on and and goof off and through you know through our various you know probably two hours of just playing games with with people playing the game and and goofing off we basically came to the conclusion that morpheus had to die morpheus was going to die uh and battling the stay puff marshmallow man like so we thought downtown Oh, oh, Morpheus has appeared. Uh, you know, because I think at that point, from a narrative standpoint, we were all losing. We were all dying, covered in marshmallow fluff and on fire. We were all dying, and Morpheus came in and saved the day and heroically sacrificed himself for the good of of everyone. Jack did. He he died protecting us from the marshmallow man. And right about the time we're we're doing this on air my phone starts ringing and it's i keep you know professionalism kept it on silent the uh, look down and i see it's it's our radio manager charles at the time and uh and it and i was like oh that's weird we'll go to a we'll go to a music break soon and i'll call him back and see what's up so for the moment we were we were wrapping up our conversation we were getting to a nice period in the sentence before we can cut some music right. and then phone rang again phone rang again chat messages our 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 uh, our various uh vince and uh all uh, our irc he was blowing me up it was just like ding 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 ding. it's charles it's charles it's charles it's charles yeah. Genji, call me Genji, call me Genji, call me <laughs> i was like okay you know so again i was just like Arr. i think if i remember correctly one or two of the other people actively on the show with us this time same thing phones start blowing up starting phone calls Right, so we're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna cut to a song and uh, cut to music. Answer my phone. I'm like, hey man, what's up? She's like, what are you doing? I was like, we're it's Thursday. We're we're doing the morning show. It's like, what are you doing? He's like, I just got off the phone with Atari. They're furious. Like, and at that point, I'm I'm scanning my head. I was like, did I cuss? Did I mess up on the air? I was trying to think. I was like. Because because having Morpheus die by the hands of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was so far from possibly a thing I could be in trouble for that I didn't even consider it. So I'm, in my brain, I'm just dissecting the show at that point. I'm like, I'm, I was like, what did I do? I'm not, I was like, what's going on, buddy? And he's, he's like, you killed Morpheus. I was like, oh, yeah, hilarious. We killed Morpheus. He died by the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. He goes, no, listen, it is not funny. They were about to, and we're talking within 72 hours, release a story chapter in which Morpheus actually dies. And now they're going to have to delay that because if they immediately release it, it's going to either look like A, you slash the radio station has inside information about what's happening with the story, or B, they are basing some of the stories off your shenanigans. And they can't allow either of those things to be a perceived reality. So they, so, so they have to delay the, the, the chapter from coming out. And they're going to have to write something to go in between what's happening right now and then. Because they want to delay Morpheus's death long enough to where people forget about your dumb nonsense on the, on the morning show. <laughs> because later I learned that the people at, uh, at, at, at a few of the companies who were behind MXO listened to a lot of our radio station. Cause I mean, at one point they even baked in a player into the game just right. to support us. So they were fans. And so I guess somewhere in the office, they were listening to the morning show 
And then we killed Morpheus and probably a handful of writers and uh, developers and people just putting the final polish on releasing the big, just ripping the bandaid off. We're going to kill a main character. You know, the fucking balls, like <laughs> one of the, one of the remaining living beloved characters, they have decided to have the gall to murder for the sake of an interesting and great storyline. And we jumped them to it. So they must've been livid, like just enraged at that point and so charles is like they're gonna have to create another chapter to shoehorn in between where they are and where they were going and uh, and uh, and you know i felt really bad about it because I'm, I'm a huge fan like i'm doing this for the love of the game and the franchise i've yeah. got to meet and work with people developing the game and they've all treated me so well and they're so nice and i just screwed over so much of their work and uh I felt like garbage. I felt so bad about it. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, other people on the radio with me are trying not to crack up because I'm pretty sure I've just got like, you know, hot mic in chat, just not broadcasting. And, uh, and I'm, I'm basically getting told off for all of us just having the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man murder Morpheus. And uh, so at the time, I thought, I thought that was the extent of it. Like, oh, no, they're going to have to delay. Oh, man, I hope I don't lose my job. And, um, <laughs> Only later, I think it was a good year later, I went to E3. And when I was at E3, I got to meet some, they had an actual, like, an MXO booth set up. You could sit in, a, in like, one of the, you know, the jack-in chairs, for lack of a better term. I'm sure there's an yeah. official word for it. But, you know, the uh, I got to sit in one of the chairs and, and play, not MXO, but one of the Matrix games. And But all the devs were there, and I introduced myself, and I went, oh, we know you. I was and at the that didn't click weird at that instinct. So I was like, oh yeah, I was like, oh y'all listen to the show and stuff, rad. And there's like, no, motherfucker, you cost us seven million dollars. <laughs> and again, it's been a year. And so at that moment, I was like, I'm sorry, let me reintroduce myself. You clearly have me mistaken for someone else. <laughs> like, no, when your ass killed Morpheus. We had to we had to create another chapter, which meant uh, additional writing, additional staff, a new assets. The whole fucking team had to come together to create more game to cover up for you. <laughs> and I've heard I've heard different numbers, but <laughs> like it was in the tune of like seven million dollars because I said, hey, it'll be funny if Morpheus died protecting us from the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, because I was, it was, you know, I was playing MXO until 3 o'clock in the morning, and then doing a radio show about MXO at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and we thought, I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to claim that it was my idea, because I honestly don't remember, because we were very, we were ad-libbing and, and doing our best improv, like me and, and Griff and, you know, just a handful of the regulars. It's just like, I have no idea whose fault that was, but because I'm the one that said it, it's historically my fault. <laughs> but yeah, no idea. At the moment it happened, the moment I, I did the damage, I just thought like, I didn't think about it from a you know, game development standpoint. I was just, oh no, I caused a delay. That sucks. I didn't mean to. Whoops, love you guys. Bye. <laughs> Only later was I like, yeah, creating a chapter is not free, dipshit. We had to employ people. <laughs> Potentially new voice acting, definite new writing, new assets, the whole everything. Yeah, because, to cover up for the marshmallow man murdering Morpheus. Right, because yeah, they they did. Um, you know, there was full. There there was all they did full on. 3d cinematics later on in yeah yeah later on in the um life cycle of the game they on the cut costs they went to kind of still like animatic kind of animation chapters but um but at this time they were doing like full voice acted 3d everything yeah and and if i remember correctly i know the wachowskis wrote the, the core story they might have been writing some of if not all the chapters at that point too yes so i might have ruined the wachowski's weekend at one point <laughs> in my life and that hurts me deeply where i live like that hurts my heart i don't know if that's true but in my mind i'm like there is a real possibility that a wachowski knows my at least my handle and has cursed my black heart from a late night writing session but uh, yeah, they, it's 
I, I felt so bad to to damage what I love so innocently. <laughs> well, well, I guess I guess it's I, I guess the, uh, I guess the sisters are okay because um, you're no longer you're no longer broadcasting for that. So Matrix Four is going to be <laughs> fine. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to um, you know chat with me for a little while. I really I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's Borderlands Day. I'm gonna hop off here and go shoot some people. It seems like every person I speak to had some kind of personal story, which, as was stated, was kind of the point. No matter how bad a game is mechanically, if there's a community and they are fostered and cared for, they will be dedicated fans. Oh, and while I thought it might have been a little fantastical that one group of players making flippant comics could cause a triple-A developer like Monolith to be forced to halt their long-running plans, I did get a chance to ask Troy. I wanted to circle back on sure. the death of Morpheus yeah. for one moment because... Um, I've uh, I've heard, and I wanted to uh, to confirm and see about this story, where you guys had that plan, but then something happened, and you had to delay. What had happened is that it just became too um, close to the story that yeah. we, <laughs> and and so. I think that what what I'm imagining, uh, I'm trying to remember all of the details, but a lot of that stuff happened so quickly. Um, yeah, I'd like to think that it wasn't me just freaking out, um, but that it was somebody who was freaking out at me, causing me to freak out, but it could very well just been me. And I would actually love to talk to Charles and find out um, exactly what, uh, what that conversation was, because I, I remember that happening. Um, but then I also, like, we resolved it. Like, it wasn't a thing. I think, too, um, it speaks to how mu- how in- ingrained in, you know, the, you know, we were, we were out there. We were listening <laughs> to all the broadcasts. We were doing all the stuff. And, um, and so we knew what players were doing as much as they knew what we were doing when we were in game. Um, and I, you, you had brought up Vent, uh, Ventrilo. I forgot about that. Boy, we would spend so much time lurking in Ventrilo channels and just sort of <laughs> listening in and sort of seeing what um, what was going on. Uh, but yeah, no, that's <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, no, that's a thing that happened. Yeah. It, um, now, I heard that that ended up costing uh, um, a bit of money to come up with a new storyline to try to... Um, distance and and put some put some time between that and the actual event yeah i think that that what we're talking about is sort of a confluence of events you have um we're working to you know the the death of morpheus is a big deal to us you know what i mean like we've been running around as morpheus but also we really treated the the canon with 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 kind of respect and with um uh, care because yeah. you know we, we we just did um it wasn't like a a rule it was an understanding um no like we just we kind of made this program up yeah uh, it was you know i was there to do community stuff and then a week later they were like you know hey uh what do you think about live events really what they wanted was something simple and dumb. And I said, well, how about real live events? And we started talking about it. Um, but, uh, but, you know, take that and then the pressure of getting more players in and, and, and keeping people engaged and entertained. But at the same time, we're also pushing out a bunch of information. Like we created that whole new in-game interface that kind of gave you all of the, the tips and the things that went on for the day. Right. And then there were supplementary sort of quests or missions, um, that you could learn about. And, um, and we, so we had to write all of that and, uh, and also anything that was external to that. So anything on the web, uh, and then also the forums, that was another place where we had to spend a lot of time. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that part, but, uh, so taking all that into account when someone very close to you, you know, um, and we, we, we talked to them regularly, 
comes out with your storyline, I mean, you know, it wasn't the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, um, it kind of throws people for a loop. Um, but every day, every delay, everything costs money. Um, now, I don't know that we can say, uh, you know, I don't want to ruin anybody's memories of this because theirs will be much clearer than mine. And so if somebody's letting you know that they just caused just, they wrecked havoc <laughs> on our plans, let's go with them. <laughs> okay, okay. Cost millions and millions of dollars. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think that leads to the heart of it all. The most loved online experiences were the ones that brought players together as a community. If a game or virtual world goes farther than just creating a virtual battlefield, but rather a neighborhood, a digital home, people will come. They might not be the typical gamer type, but rather people looking to connect in a world that they love. MXO was that, and it technically still is. There have been several groups keeping the heart of the Matrix Online beating. When Sony Online Entertainment, the last company maintaining the game servers, decided to shut down the game, that catalyzed something in people. Some people started collecting in-game media. In the show notes, you can find a YouTube playlist with every in-game cinematic. Seriously, it's worth a watch along with reading the Matrix Online's official storybook as well. The story is deep with corruption and backstabbing as the fickle truce between the Zionists and the machines were strained. Other people made machinima, forming guilds like the Furious Angels who acted out their own stories in the Matrix. Many of these groups are still active to this very day, albeit them in other games. And probably the most impressive are the hackers that have been slowly reverse-engineering the server code from scratch, creating what they call the MXO emulators, with the ultimate goal of unofficially bringing the game back online. In fact, right now, the emulator is running, and using it, you can log in and explore the game. Sure, it's not playable as the quest and story elements aren't working, but it still is amazing that you can walk around and see the sights and hear the sounds of the Matrix. Who knows what the future of the Matrix will hold? Like I said earlier, I'm super stoked for the new movie and what that might mean. The Matrix has always been a transmedia property, spanning multiple video games, a series of anime shorts, comics, and of course the movies. It would be unheard of for them not to go all out with this next chapter. I, for one, am very optimistic. After all, there was just a little bit more left to that clip I played at the start of the episode of The Matrix Revolution's last scene. As the annoyed architect walked away, an amazing Technicolor sunrise appears over the megacity of The Matrix simulation. A little girl, Sati, whom is a program that was created out of love and not purpose by one of the coders of the Matrix, runs up to the Oracle, followed by their shared bodyguard, Seraph. Oracle! <laughs> we were afraid we might not find you. Everything's okay now. Look, look! Just look at that. Beautiful. Did you do that? For now. That's nice. I know he'd love it. Will we ever see him again? I suspect so. Someday. Did you always know? Oh, no. No, I didn't. But I believed. I believed. Virtual Log is written, recorded, and produced by me, Key Sign. 
The soundtrack to Virtualog is scored by the virtual virtuoso of digital divertimentos, Breakmaster Cylinder. Hey, do you have a great story from your travels in cyberspace? Had a crazy adventure in World of Warcraft? Met your spouse in EverQuest? Got your digital jimmies jostled in Second Life? I want to hear about it. Um, well, maybe not that last one. Anyway, if you have a great story for me, go to talkto.sign.com from a microphone-enabled device and tell it to me. Make sure you leave your contact information if you wish so that I can credit you. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one.